Welcome back to Rethinking Politics, episode 100. We're going to do a quick preview of some certain news events. I can't. Why can I not start this without looking at you and cracking up, Brad, or vice versa? I, there's, there's For the record, guys, I wasn't doing anything weird. I was giving Dan <laughs> the opportunity. I thought of like 17 stupid things I could say. Didn't say a single one. I was like, here you go, Dan. It's all you start the podcast. Nope, not going to happen. <laughs> so here we are, guys, with our 100th episode. Congratulations to us. We've made it this far. Um, I, I There are many times when I wasn't sure we would make it this far, but we have, which is awesome. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we, we asked you guys if there were any requests you had of something special we could do in celebration of our 100th episode. And uh, we got zero replies. And so... Clearly, you guys don't want any changes, so here you go. We're just going to record an episode. <laughs> I can't believe there wasn't a wave of people saying Brad's so, interpreted dance. I, I offered. I threw it out there. I, I slightly set up an obligation. <laughs> the, nothing. You know, right. it, it's it's fine, guys. You know, it, it is. Everyone says that you want to grow your podcast, you want to make a podcast, you need to engage with your audience, you know, you need to do these things, interact with your audience. Every time I've tried it, I've regretted it. So if you're cool with it, we're just <laughs> going to keep recording episodes, and and that should be fine, right? That should be fine. <laughs> At some point, we're going to make some merch. At, at some point. Just because it would be fun. We've made a prototype. We've made a prototype for the shirt. Um, it looks really cool. We just need to make more, and then we need. Well, the real problem is is the digital aspect. You know, we don't want to pay for for a site to sell it. You know, but I don't know. We'll we'll figure something out at some point, and we'll get them out there. Because it is what we wanted to do. Is we were thinking, leaning towards doing some shirt giveaways, and we will do that at some point in the future. So hang tight for that. Yeah, it'll be fun. And other news. Jumping into no, oh sorry, I had one more thing. Uh, no, I had one more you, announcement. Go for it. Go I was for just it. Gonna, you got some housekeeping. Go yes, for it. Yes, it is housekeeping because I got my uh, now three month old baby with me, and she's a little uh, she's a little more vocal than she was two and a half months ago when I had her on as a guest last time. So you can expect some more whines and cries and coos. Coos. Yeah, I was, I was gonna I was gonna make the same joke I made two and a half months ago, but I I bit my tongue and I didn't do Stop. it. We're moving on. Bless you. Bless your beautiful soul. And on to you, Dan. With Sparing your daughter and me. All right. Not the audience, News. though. They don't matter. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes. Not our faithful, not... uninteracted with listeners? Nope. Not them. Um, so if we're looking... <laughs> There's been a variety of events that have been going on. Um, most of them... Most of the things that make news in the U.S. Um, did you hear Brian Stelter is getting fired? No. From CNN? Who's Brian Stelter? <laughs> my my immediate thought was to, there's, there's a way that people who don't like him describe him that's pretty rude, but also fitting because he has an interesting physical appearance. Uh, <laughs> he's slightly odd. I'll I'll forbear on the childish uh, description there, but uh, um, he uh, he's one of the big names there. Um, it, it may be that they're cutting some kind of you know trying to cut cut costs things like that. It may be part of them trying to enter some kind of new direction. Anyway, that was that was the big news of yesterday. Uh, there's been a variety of other things. That obviously the Trump House raid. We still haven't talked about it. 
Um, you're welcome. Maybe something interesting. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Uh, it will do you little good hearing the details of it. There, and there's because um, there's so there, little details to be to be known right now. I mean, first of all, yes. what we're talking about is a raid for specific documents. Um, you know, and then that raid has happened. We don't we don't have a ton of information about what they found. Um, you know, they're discussing whether or not to unseal part of the stuff of the information that led to them going in in the first place. And so there's just a real dearth of information, which is why you have, you know, 20 news articles a day about it, you know, because there's nothing more fun than speculating on something that's juicy, but we actually don't have any details on. Right. It's the equivalent of of political celebrity gossip at this point. Um, there's going I mean, there's a, maybe a little more substance than that. But like Brad was saying, until we've got details, no, no, just... what I'm saying is it's the first article saying it happened is news. Helpful. Any yeah. uh, any subsequent article from the same you know same news organization is gossip. It's just speculation. It's just getting mileage out of one of the most controversial figures, and that's that's all there is to it. Yeah. The uh, in other news, there's a teacher shortage uh, that I think is noteworthy. I mean, obviously there are a variety of things happening that we could talk about that are that are on this level of looking at things. But the teacher shortage has gotten worse in a variety of places. Uh, it's spread. It, I remember in uh, Utah when I was there five years ago, um, it was so bad that they significantly changed the way that uh, the pay the pay scale and different things, trying to entice more teachers to join. They were waiving the qualifications required, the certifications, so that they could draw from a wider uh, pool of people. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and so on. And uh, Texas is doing that right now. Um, this could be an interesting issue that we look at up close in the future, talking about the way the teachers uh, are are uh, paid and how that pay scale is determined and what the cost of schools are and those kind of things. We have, we've looked at public school in, in some facets before. We haven't looked at this particular uh, side of it and get into some of the, the economics of it in the, in the state irregularities and differences. But um, it's interesting because it's an obvious problem that affects a ton of people, but isn't really being solved or handled there. There, if the if the licensure and things are important, then having teachers that don't have them is a problem. Mm -hmm. and, and you've got to work out the pay. You've got to work out something here. Um, and I just don't see. <laughs> you you can look at the cost of schooling compared to uh, outcomes in schooling across time. Um, sometimes this is described as the failure of public schooling in one graph <laughs> is often what this is, how this is as labeled. As the cost goes and up and the outcomes go down. Slowly decline. Yeah. <laughs> it's the cost, cost at a, you know, crazy rate increases. Um, anyway. And finally, of the things that I were going to mention here before we get into our primary topic, we're in a drought. <laughs> This is some related. of us have known this for a while. Dan just found out recently. <laughs> What's funny is this is the kind of thing I hear about and ignore because I have the good fortune to live in the United States, which is here, one of the here. countries, and I'm, I'm not directly working in, in agriculture. Um, nor am I in a place where water shortages are causing changes in laws 
you know, or, or requiring you to turn off water and whatnot. I, um, but this is extremely relevant because Brad and I were talking last episode <laughs> about food shortages and, and the, the various climate policies. Yeah, we should have been more clear when we were talking about food production that not only do you need a fertilizer for food production, but you also need water. <laughs> yes, in case this is news to you, turns out this is important. Um, the number of farms in the United States, which is the number one exporter of food, or producer, I think, producer, not just exporter, but producer of food. I'm pretty sure it's both. The U.S., there are a significant amount of farmers. Uh, how bad is the drought and what is the impact on farmers? Well, 37% of farmers are killing some of their crops. They just, they just take the... They determined that it's a waste of resources to continue cultivating these crops because they're not going to reach maturity and give them a yield. So... It's more cost-effective to simply kill them at this stage, just plow them up. And they're selling off livestock, particularly cows, because um, taking care of them is too costly. I, I, I guess it, maybe it's related to the fact that they're going to be losing income from other things. I guess I'm not clear exactly on why they're selling cows. Yeah, how the cow selling is related to the, to the drought. It is related to the drought, Because the, yes. the plant aspects make sense. You know, you have 100 acres of alfalfa and you only have enough water for 70 acres you spread that water over 100 acres you could lose the whole crop instead you you know plow up 30 acres and just water what you can afford to water that makes sense the cow thing i don't know but it's who knows maybe it's the water consumption for for raising cows is more than we think it is you know or yeah. maybe it's or yeah. maybe it's indirect maybe it's indirect uh Either way. Yeah, it says, the, the article claims it's uh, farmers in Texas is, quote, farmers in Texas are being forced to sell off their cattle herds earlier than normal, earlier than normal, due to extreme drought, as water sources dry out and grass burns There you up. go. It's, it's their, they it have their the own drought. food supply. They're not buying hay. They're, they're just grazing their cattle. They're grazing them. And I forget that in okay. Texas, they have enough land they can do that. <laughs> space, space everywhere. It's a big country. I was thinking of the, um, the modern cattle ranch where you're mostly, you know, importing <laughs> your food supply. But no, that makes that's, sense. That's right. Um, it's interesting that of, of note, this is particularly sad. If you've been to California, uh, Northern California sad. in particular, <laughs> if you've been to Northern California, uh, I spent years there. Um, you, you'll see a lot of, uh, of, um, Fruit and <laughs> fruit and nut orchards. Um, the joke is always this is the land of the fruits and nuts. California is the land of the fruits and nuts. Um, no wonder it's sad. Anyway. I thought you were going to tell a joke. <laughs> These kind of orchards are are very expensive to get going and very difficult to maintain. Um, it takes years before they start bearing fruit, and then they bear fruit regularly, right? You uh, yeah, it's a long term investment. Very high trees, investment. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Fifty percent of farmers in state in the state said they had to remove trees due to drought. California being uh, particularly hit hard by the drought. Um, in fact, they've been in a drought for it seems like twenty years, uh, and I think it's actually close to that. Um, 
depending on how it's measured. They may have had a, you know, exceptional years between then, but they've had problems for a long time. Water shortages in California are absolutely an issue. Um, so when Brad and I were talking last episode about how, you know, the the famine that may be in the that is in the making, it is in the making. I keep saying it. It may or may not be because we may or may not feel it. And I always. <laughs> If, if an American doesn't hear a tree falling in the forest, then it didn't happen. So. <laughs> Uncle Sam's uh, cat, Schrodinger's cat. Yeah. Uh, There's... Uncle Schrodinger, I guess. Should be. Should be <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Sam Schrodinger. No one knew that his first name was actually Sam. <laughs> or that he was a relative, but thus it is. Um, but the famine in the making is unlikely to affect the U.S. all that much, as was the claim we had made. I still think that's going to be true because we're just prosperous enough that we'll divert other things, we'll import food and whatnot. But the fact that our production is being hit hard, it's going to be much worse for us uh, than I initially would have guessed, or at least it could be much worse for us, right? It's hard to tell with, with numbers like this, right? They're telling us that this this percent of farmers are being affected. We don't know what degree they're being affected mm-hmm, and what mm-hmm, crops exactly. Mm-hmm. We don't have the details, and that's we'd have to process a lot of information to really get into it. But it's at least a very bad sign. But that's not that's not what we want to talk about today. Even though we just talked about it, it's not what we want to focus on today. We want to continue. We'll see if the next thing we talk about is what we want to talk about. We're going to keep trying until we find until we the find thing we something talk worth about. talking about. You know, <laughs> we'll sit. We're like, what that bias? We're throwing darts at a wall. There's a there's a target there. We keep hitting the wall, missing the target. Completely. Hey, hey, leave them on the other side of the curtain, you know? Showing off our process. We're, the funniest part about that idea is that we must have accidentally acquired these facts, right? We, we, it was unintentional. We didn't want to. We're unintentionally referencing articles and specific numbers and... It's that's just our team. We just have a well-organized team behind us taking care of things. Anyways, so <laughs> so last week we talked about we talked about the the coming famine and one of the things that we discussed in relation to that was climate change. And what we want to do is we want to have a broader conversation about climate change, as broad as it can be. I mean, there's, you know, there's only so much we can do in in just a podcast forum rather than I don't know. There's, there's, there's climate change is, is a, is a controversial and wide reaching subject. And so the first thing I want to talk about talking about climate change is about the inability to talk about climate change, because that's a real barrier. Um, and if Brad proves his case, we'll stop there. Having proved we're unable to talk. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Carry on. Um, a great comparison for climate change is uh, is the COVID vaccines, where you reach a level of divide between two groups, not necessarily even a partisan divide, but just a, a one issue divide. And and you reach a point where it's impossible for people to talk about it. Um and that's something that's that's really happened with climate change. You know, fundamentally, you have you have the two groups. You have people who say climate change is a real thing and we have to fix it at all costs. And then you have the other group that say climate change isn't a real thing and isn't really an issue. And and that gets translated into 
climate change or not climate change. And that's the debate and that's the whole argument. And one of the real issues with this is that the net result of that is that just like with the COVID vaccines, even asking a question or having a discussion or expressing doubt about any aspect of climate change will immediately relegate you to a status of climate change denier. You know what I mean? And and will discredit you and and will get you in all heaps of trouble. Um, and at the very least, will end any chance of a real discussion. And and that's and that's where this inability is coming from, I think, Dan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. If you if you can't ask the questions, then then what you're left with, like if if, I, if it's going to take me answers to five or six questions, for the sake of just example, I've got more questions than that on to be persuaded of specific policies. But it, it, even trying to give an example. I've failed to represent how hard it is to talk about climate change because not only you can't even talk about specific options for addressing it, right? Like that's we're 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 long before that point the conversation has ended. You you're only talking about is it happening and are you on board mm-hmm. or not? Mm-hmm. Are you on the climate change ship or are you against the climate change ship? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's the level of analysis that once once we've determined that the conversation know you've learned everything you need to know about that person and it's over um but it's that to jump back to covid the way this was the problem with discussing covid and we talked about it at length how you get into this warlike mentality of um us versus them to the degree that uh, that conversation that questions your cause or that may cast any doubt on your cause becomes uh, a war crime it becomes it it because it may change or it at the least makes you an enemy to, yes yeah yeah it means you must be on the other mm-hmm. side if you because a war crime uh, has you, other connotations <laughs> that's true <laughs> That's true. It sounded good in my analogy, uh, in my head, which is where most analogies should remain. I was about to say, it's usually where they sound good, isn't it, Dan? <laughs> it, it is. It is. Pre, you know, prior to release from your mouth or review from peers. Um, this, uh, but it's that, it's that same partisan, you mentioned the word partisan, it's often associated with partisan politics today, this, this warlike mentality where to question your side is to help the other side and thus is something you you're not allowed to do mm-hmm. um it's really interesting with uh with climate change because it's a complex scientific phenomenon that understanding would take a lot of questions and discussion mm-hmm. and we're going to preempt that and we're going to say no are you on board then We'll go forward. Yeah, and, right? and, it's, and it's usually a, it's how and usually that... how it goes is like this: is the questions have already been asked and the answers have already been found, and that's often what you'll hear with climate change, where it's you know, this, this, there are thousands of scientists who have looked at the data, and they've all come to the same conclusion, and so all we need to do now is get on board with those conclusions. You know what I mean? 
And if that doesn't remind you of the COVID rhetoric, then, then I don't know what does. But but part of the reason people feel that way is because there has been a long, long train of climate change. I mean, there's no other word for it. Propaganda that we've been inundated with for for decades now. I mean, I mean, great examples of this in Inconvenient Truth. A day after tomorrow, which is my personal favorite. Um, I enjoyed that movie as a kid. I watched it fairly recently. I watched it like I two months ago. I had a great time watching yeah. it. That's a good movie. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, but 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 those movies and the ideas that came with them have actually had a uh, at this point a generational effect because anyone under thirty has basically been raised in a world where climate change is an accepted reality. You know, and that and that includes me, you know, uh, Dan you're 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 technically over that line, but it's close enough. Um I I keep forgetting how old we are now. You know, I say under 30 and I'm like we're well below that, you know. Not so much anymore. <laughs> not so much anymore. No, our, our friendship is not frozen in time, but it, once we were well below that. <laughs> Uh, yes it's it, so if you look at the way that people talk about it there's a there's an interesting gk chesterton has this passage that i should just memorize at some point in my life where he talks about how um if you have things that you believe and you have your reasons that you believe them and, it, and it's clearly fleshed out then you can walk and, and you meet someone else who believes something differently and they have their reasons and it's clearly lined out you two can walk right up to the line of your disagreement and you know you're safe. You can you can actually yeah, talk yeah. about the line. Right? Cuz you can see that everything up to here I'm sure and here's where the slight point here this is the edge of my knowledge. This is the edge of of what I'm confident in and we can talk right there and it's okay. I'm not threatened by that. Mm-hmm. Because I know the ground behind me is secure. Um but this isn't an <laughs> this is defines that as a that's what an what reason would look like but if if what you're using is prejudice then your only defense when someone disagrees with you is to get out of earshot as soon as possible <laughs> you're, you're, and he describes the modern disagreements as as people uh moving as fast as they can to get away from each other while shouting that they're they're confident and that they know you know they know the truth they figured it out and and they're they're running out of ears. Well, and and I was that's I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to bring up that on the other side because you have this propaganda, you have this wave, you have this ship that you have to get on. And on the other hand, you have the people who haven't gotten on that ship who therefore have developed a defense mechanism where they they run the other way, where they're like, "You know what? You know, not only do I have some concerns, but now I'm like, you know what? Who cares about climate change? You know what I mean? I don't, I just, you know, just forget the whole thing. They're completely wrong. I don't want to hear any arguments about it. The whole thing's a hoax. You know what I mean? And and that's something that I know for me, I've definitely been guilty of where, where my tendency is to run away from the issue, not towards it because of that, because of that divide and that defense mechanism, you know? Because because it makes yeah. sense. I mean, you don't want to be called, you don't want to be called, you know, an ignoramus. You don't want to be called an absolute, you know, 
just a flat earther um you know do you remember in the day after tomorrow when he he flexes on the 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 guy in the like governmental position who makes the wrong call for the u.s and doesn't see it Uh coming doesn't accept that the catastrophe is coming Uh at one point the main character who's this brilliant scientist flexes on him and goes i got a better grade than you did in college in a related class and i don't remember the specific class i just i just love i just love this like i'm smarter than you you should listen to me you shouldn't be listening to that guy i'm smarter than he is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and if that's what you're going to be told all day i'm smarter than you you should be listening to me eventually you <laughs> you give those people the bird and you you stop listening to them entirely and so, so that brings us to, okay, well, if that's what's going on and that's what's bad, what should be happening? I think, I think I've got two ideas. Um, you know, the first idea is, is the simplest one, which is, I, I'm laughing because the way I wanted to frame it is, is funny. I was going to say, to remember that climate change is a hoax. And by that, I mean calling any one thing climate change and thinking we've figured it out is completely ineffective. You know what I mean? You can't be for or against climate change. You can't be on the boat or on it because what we're talking about, I mean, something we talked about before when we talked about economics, but now we're talking much broader. When we're talking about the earth and everything on it and how all of those things interact and what that does for the earth and everything on it, it's a very complicated issue. You know what I mean? It's incredibly complicated. And when you read studies and evidence talking about actual climate change data, you'll see a lot of that, a lot of that nuance and complication because it's not it's not black and white. I mean, first of all, figuring out what is happening and the causality is complicated. And then second of all, figuring out what's going to happen in the future is much more complicated. I mean, look at our our ability to predict weather on a daily basis, something that we've devoted, you know, a ton of time and energy and and data gathering and all this into and something we still struggle with. You know what I mean? We've gotten so much better at it. And that's just local predictions are difficult. When it comes to worldwide predictions, it becomes much more difficult. And so so we need to understand there's some nuance and there's some – it's not as black and white. And that's helpful in opening up that discussion. And so so if you're someone who has some concerns about climate change you know, and you want to have a discussion, I think that's the first step is saying, hey, I'm not saying this whole thing's a hoax, but – what is it exactly? What exactly is happening? You know, what's the latest data on it? Because the the numbers that were put forward in an in inconvenient truth have come and gone. You know what I mean? Those numbers clearly yeah. were wrong. You know what I mean? So we can't we can't act like those are the concrete numbers and nothing's changed. No, those numbers are, are dead and gone. What are the real numbers now? You know what I mean? We can't keep talking about about you know the, the whole u.s being covered in water we can't talk about the whole world ending in 100 years like in the day after tomorrow you know what i mean we need to talk about what what is actually happening and what the current predictions are because because they're changing because there aren't a thousand scientists who have come together and have one answer 
on climate change. No, there's a, a thousand scientists who agree with some vague statement that goes like climate change is real. You know what I mean? And that doesn't really yes. mean anything. And people are impacting it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You need more than that to come up with a game plan. And so if we're going to do something, we need to have a logical game plan. And so the first question is, well, well, what is happening so we can even figure out that game plan? Yes. And this is the scientific question. And this, this question is most people's views, most people who believe in climate change and who push back against climate change are arguing about old ideas. Uh, like you mentioned, they're arguing about data from 20 years ago at best. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at the, the, the world authority per se, I, I don't know. I don't know enough about the ins and outs of, of various reports uh, to know if there might be an alternative that's, that's more respected or equally respected, but the, but the intergovernmental panel on climate change is, as far as I know, considered the authority, and they release a, a regular reports, and you can look at their reports, and they will say things like, this is what, what we think is happening, this is how confident we are that the cause is X. And they are much, much more careful with their language than your average journalist who's like, yeah, climate change is causing these droughts. Mm -hmm. What would that mean to say that climate change is causing these droughts? Because causing is a strong word. Yeah, you're yeah, implying you're, that you're, minus climate change, there's no drought. Yeah, exactly. You're you're implying that there's a straight line of causality from one to the other. And and that's as as you were saying, that's not backed up by the actual climate change experts, by the people who who are smarter than us and who who did get a better grade in these particular fields <laughs> aren't right, saying that. Right. The journalists are right. saying that, but the actual yes. experts are. What they're saying is much more nuanced. Yes, because because if you think about it for a second, it should be clear that that's impossible to prove. That's a claim that is truly impossible to prove. You're saying, if, if the words are implying what I just said, which I think they must, that that without climate change, this drought doesn't happen, then how on earth would you verify that? Right? How, what? We can't. <laughs> I got a weather update. The other day, a storm blew into Texas, to, to the Dallas area. It was wonderful. We've been hoping for rain for a long time. We're in, we're in this said drought uh, and uh, <laughs> that I was unaware of. <laughs> I, I was so ambivalent too that it didn't you know, it didn't really register for me until we were looking actually at food production. Um, and it comes in and we're looking at the forecast for the week because my wife is dying of the heat. She, she can't stand how hot this summer's been. Um, and she uh, she shows me the weather forecast for the next week. And it's rain most days. And it's, you know, the weather is 10 to 20 degrees cooler than it's been all summer. And we were really excited. It rained for a short time, and then it's been weather as normal. Right? <laughs> they they changed the weather to update it and adapt to the storm, changed it back, and then a short time later, changed it back, mm -hmm. essentially. Mm -hmm. Like they could not foresee this. They could not foresee what it was going to happen over the next few days. And you're telling me that this group knows 
what caused the drought and that it's this very specific thing that the, the weather can be simplified to the point that you can you can pinpoint it to this one cause it's it it's scientifically absurd to claim that causality you cannot do it you cannot do it and and by the way when we're talking about this one claim the one claim is when we say climate change is really not climate change because climate change is meaningless as two words strung together. <laughs> as a term, yes. Because anyone who's ever experienced any climate knows that it changes. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> yes, because yes. by definition, you'd say obviously climate yeah. change caused the drought because a drought is climate change. You know what I mean? By definition, it's yeah. a different. It's different than it was yeah, before, it, for yes. the worse. But that's not what people mean when they say climate change. What they mean is that human impact on the world caused this. And that's the line of causality that we're saying is is diff is difficult to show evidence for and practically even if it's true. Even if it's true. Even if it's and true. practically impossible to prove conclusively. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I think we're a long ways from the technology. No, that's what I'm saying practically to, to be able impossible. To kind of prove that. It is yes, possible. Yes, yes. In theory you could prove Yeah, it. but but we're we're not there now, which is why you have organizations like the the IPCC, Intergovernmental IPCC Policy, no, Panel, 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 Panel for Climate Change, mm -hmm. is is making such vague statements like there is some limited evidence that it might be related, but might have caused it, but we just don't know. Yeah, you model a warmer world and uh, and you're going to, on paper at least, get more droughts. Right? Droughts become more likely. Does that mean it's caused by climate change? Um, no. <laughs> right? That's not, how, that's not how that word works. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, part of the problem, is, I hope you can see it. If you've been listening to us uh, for a while, I hope you can see that there is political language all over this thing. And political language is not meant to clarify. Scientific <laughs> language is. For science, you want, you want fine distinctions. You want to break it down into as many pieces as is necessary to get all of the pieces, to get all of the factors, to get all of the things that go into it. Uh, that is exactly the opposite of what a political cause does under, under standard political science of how to move things forward and get votes and support. And and I keep I, you're exactly right because because what's happening here with with this story where you have someone saying hey we know this drought is caused by climate change and then you go to the source and they're like yeah we don't know that people listening here might be thinking and I know people who read that article were definitely thinking <laughs> that yes obviously climate change caused this drought because we've been told for decades. That climate change, in other words, human impact on the world, is the cause of all bad environmental things. Therefore, I know that this drought was caused by climate change. And so, first of all, if you're reading the article, you have no interest in looking for evidence. Because why would you look for evidence of something you already know? It's a waste of time. You know what I mean? And second of all, if you hear, okay, they can't prove it. And you say, oh, oh yeah, here's podcast are saying they can't prove it. Well, that doesn't matter. Because we all know that's what's happening. It's an accepted truth. It's an accepted reality. And really, when it comes down to it, that reality is based off of, like I said, things that were said 20 years ago that were political more than scientific driven. Because 
An Inconvenient Truth is not a scientific movie. You know what I mean? Um, the Day After Tomorrow is not a scientific movie, no matter what Dennis Quaid likes to tell you. It, <laughs> they were both politically driven. They were ideologically driven. And so they were dramatic. The Day After Tomorrow was at least admittedly so. But a lot of people thought that An Inconvenient Truth was just sincerely data-driven. But no, it was designed to be inflammatory. It was designed to be exaggerated. It was designed to get a reaction. And, and it was understood that it was a necessary obfuscation of the truth in order to get action. Because the argument is always made, and this gets back to that war mentality, that yes, the data is a little bit more vague, and the data is not as bad as we keep saying it is. The actual scientific data on climate change. But if we tell people that, then they will stop caring about no climate change, action. and they won't do anything. Therefore, what we need to do is fudge the numbers a little bit and and you can do that pretty easily because you can do it without even outright lying you know you can take a very low probability and write a vague article that strongly implies straight causality which people are expecting anyways and therefore believe bing bang boom problem solved you get your political action and you you fix the you know you fix the problem and you you get political points from it as well, you know. It, which just makes so much sense as a line of action, right? Why why people would do this, and I hate it. <laughs> I hate it with a passion. This is why one of the things that people will no doubt think as they're looking at this: you're not, you're we're not climate scientists, right? You're not. But I, uh, you know, I and don't. Here, have I thought you had all the degree. <laughs> I don't have. I am a climate scientist, Brad. I don't have any formal recognition, and I've never taken a formal class. He's like, it. I've never done any work on it. <laughs> but, but sure. I <laughs> you and Al Gore. But sure. I mean, um, but what's, what's interesting about it is that I've read enough science, and it, more importantly, enough politics to be able to say, this is politics. And a lot of the of what passes for science here is politics which doesn't mean the science isn't there right which doesn't mean that climate change as a as the as a meaningless name chosen for political reasons that climate change as a scientific the scientific ideas under it aren't there that's not what i'm saying i'm saying that and that's not that's not what brad and i are implying what we're saying is that there's a political movement over the top of it that significantly distorts any facts underneath it. And if you're not aware of that, then you're going to be reacting to the political movement rather than the scientific, the, the scientific yeah, information. Rather than the actual the best data underneath. Yes. Yes. And so one of the ways to identify this is to recognize that there is a language for science and there is a language and and by language here, I mean English. maybe vocabulary is a better term. <laughs> okay, Brad, proving my point. Maybe a vocabulary, maybe a style or a flair or a manner of speaking or a, or a way right, of right, going right. about this. <laughs> That's how we begin tell uh, them, pre-recording. Pre-recording, we always channel a little, uh, little of that. And if you can identify them, then you can see when, at least when the political is taking over, right? And you, you're past the edges of what scientific precision 
will allow you to say and do, and that you're now into the realm of politics. Um, and so first off, if you want to discuss climate change, you need to get at the level of the science, and that's going to require you diving under the politics and actually getting to the data. Um, the IPCC reports are going to bore you to death because they're trying actual science. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can debate the science there with them, and that's fine. Um, but they've, uh, there's a 50... I think, I think the, the latest report is 3,000 pages. Um, you know, it's constantly citing specific studies and things to, draw, to back up its claims. And then there's like a 50-page report that's separate for political people. <laughs> and, and I haven't read it, but I hope it's as bad as I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> that, it, that it puts it in the language they can understand, which is something like, switch to renewable energy at all costs or something you know, you know what i mean something that's that's actually not a scientific claim at okay all. okay dan but but not 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 even to, to to be devil's advocate or to channel our audience but i'm sitting over here and i'm like i'm not going to read a three thousand page anything no, no anything i don't care what it is there's nothing i like enough to be able to read a three thousand page report on that thing um <laughs> I, I feel sorry for any any legitimate scientist who specializes in that field and is therefore forced to read that to stay on top of their field, you know. Or worse, the studies and the studies under it, right? You'd, you'd, you'd pick a narrow specialty within the climate thing and you would know all the studies that are being cited. And this is this is why academia is not the, the career of choice for most people. And so, so as a solution, you know, diving under the waves of politics in order to get at the, uh, the ocean of knowledge that is the actual scientific data on climate change sounds about as effective as free diving in the Marianas Trench, you know? And so, <laughs> so, so what do you got for me, Dan, as a solution that's that's yes, not yeah, just okay. taking everything that's said politically at face value, but doesn't require me to devote my life to scientific study of climate change. Yes, yes, yes. These, this is I'm. You're right to to slow it down to that because because this is a valid no, speed concern. It up. Right? We can't. I'm we getting can't. bored of the report. Don't slow it down anymore. <laughs> Don't turn it into a six thousand page report. Yes, yes. So. Obviously, unless you want to become the expert, you need a guide. Um, but make sure your guide is not a political figure that's that's drinking the political Kool Aid. And part of that is this is why this is why I, being able to identify scientific language and distinguish it from from political language or political vocabulary in the way that it works and the way they push people and try and influence people through politics, as opposed to scientists talking with each other. Um, Find a guide that will speak with scientists, right? That can that can speak the uh, the language and will speak with people who disagree with them, because scientists will do that. Scientists will discuss the data and information. Yes, you're not going to be able to get in at the level that they are, but you're going to get in. But you can get in past the level that the politicians are at, and and that will make a big difference in how nuanced your view is. Um, th but there's other parts to this, right? If we're going to consider the climate change. Part of it, the issue is we need the scientific language and the people who can speak it to be speaking to each other and having an actual debate. Now, how much of that it goes before the public eye is going to vary. I was about to say, for all we know that's happening right now, it's just not 
it's just not making any waves. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. Uh, and it's probably happening to a larger degree than the other conver- than the conversations at the political level are happening, but it's not happening nearly to the level it should be. The debates between people who believe in cli- scientists who, uh, who are 100% on board with the politics and other people is just but not are really actually happening. discussing and arguing the realities because as we said yes. before it's not climate change is not a binary issue it's not on or off yes it's much more complicated than that it's like what's happening here what's happening here and then for each of those areas well what's causing that how do we know what's causing it are there multiple causes which one's the most significant how do we figure that out in a world that is not a series of bank transactions you can track backwards. You know what I mean? And then then that doesn't even get to the last step, which is the most difficult always, which is predictability. You know, the rain man, you know, the the weather predictor is always the best at predicting the weather that's already happened. Predicting the weather that hasn't happened yet is the most difficult. Well, this is why uh, often models are used as data by scientists who are, who are doing this they've 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 created a model that is an attempt to predict the future mm-hmm. but then they'll sometimes the often those models are cited by journalists as data yes as if it's happened yes. <laughs> and it hasn't happened these models are useful if what they predict happens mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and if it gets a consistent enough record then you start to know and, it and that should be future. familiar to anyone who's seen an inconvenient truth is you've got a, a bunch of models that are presented as irrefutable and I think we can go ahead and refute a good chunk of those because so many of those models have already broken down because their early predictions yes. were just totally wrong. Yes. So all of this fits under the category of science and what uh, all of this uh, of what needs to happen that we've recommended thus far, talking about it in this way and, and being able to see these things fits under the category of what is happening. What is happening? The science of it. But the science of it is a small part. If, if that, that isn't depressing after how, much, how big we made that seem. <laughs> uh, the science is a small part of deciding what to do going forward. Assuming you have the data and you can say this is what's happening and you knew for sure, which is uh, essentially impossible. Uh, it'll be impossible for a long time. Um, it, it'd be ex- it's extremely difficult. But let's say you had something reliable enough and you had a model that was reliable and was working and was predicting the future. At that point, you then have to decide from different actions, right? You have to then say, what do we do about it? And this gets into the ideological impact because because I can tell you right now what a lot of these, a lot of the movement leaders in terms of climate change would answer with. And the answer is the scientists are going to argue and they're going to go back and forth about the nuances of what's happening. And that's good and that's healthy and we want that. The reason we overlay this political argument is because we don't have time to wait to figure out what's going on. And so in the meantime, we need to act in order to prevent that from happening. And that will probably resonate with at least some people listening. Like, that makes sense. It does. (laughs) But it only makes sense if you believe one fundamental principle. Well, you can believe more, but you have to believe this one. And that principle is that human impact is always negative on the earth. Because if it's not, 
then how do you know what to do if you don't know the nuance? You know what I mean? Like when we were talking yeah. before about about nitrogen, you know, nitrogen as as an emission in, you know, in the Netherlands, while I was trying to decide what to call it, you know, in <laughs> the Dutch, the Holland. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but deciding that nitrogen is a huge problem is a scientific question. You know what I mean? Deciding okay, climate change is happening and here's exactly how it's happening and what exactly is going to make the biggest difference is a scientific question. But if you believe that current human impact on the earth is just generally bad and is causing climate change, not as a scientific belief, but as an ideological belief, as a faith-based belief, basically, yeah, then... You don't need to worry about the nitty-gritty. All you need to do is reduce human impact. You know what I mean? I mean, that's where we are with carbon emissions, where carbon emission is an ideological belief that we need our carbon emissions to be zero. You know what I mean? And that's going to be so good. And it's going to solve so many problems. And the scientific backing behind that isn't there you know what i mean it's debatable that that's actually the best solution for what's currently happening and so you have to look at those ideological stances that are actually underneath them yes yes that's a oh that's one of the interesting things about the science of climate change is it's it's so complex that you become so specialized in a narrow part of it that the scientists themselves are really susceptible to this ideological capture. They're really susceptible to being like, well, for my part in the specific specialty I have, it looks like this. But for the big picture, they rely on a general principle. And just like, just like the normal person does, you can, you can find scientists who, for all their expertise, are just as ideologically driven as any other human being, right? They're, and they accept that a certain policy solution is the right solution because it will reduce human impact on the assumption that human impact on the environment is some kind of inherently bad thing. That increasing the nitrogen, because nitrogen is an ordinarily at this level, to increase it ordinarily in this area at this level. To increase it here through human impact is a bad thing. It's inherently bad. And thus, we shouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thus, we have to do what we have to do to, to stop that increase or, or reduce how much nitrogen we're putting out there. In this case, in the Netherlands, you mentioned CO2 is the big one with relation to climate change as a whole, looking at the whole planet. Um, that perspective is maybe true. But it's maybe true, right? That it may be that some kind of impact on the world is bad for the world maybe and it may be true that that same impact is also good for people it might actually turn out to be good for the world and good for people or bad for both yeah and so and so here you're bringing another 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 principle so the so the first the first ideological fulcrum i guess you could say is the one that says human impact equals bad and the other one that says human impact i don't know anything else but but for sure bad you know what i mean because and it's interesting yes yes and before you go on to the other one i want to talk about this a little bit more because 
Yeah, that's because we always talk about the world as a natural place. You know what I mean? And yes. and the world is kind of this beautiful, you know, this delicate machine that's just balanced ever so properly. And then humans were just thrown in there out of nowhere and are just ruining everything. Which is for we're we're the hikers who go into the beautiful wilderness and we leave trash. Which, to be fair, we and are that, all of the hikers who go into the beautiful wilderness are humans. We and leave trash. We we have <laughs> apparently we and and that's the thing is we are very different from the rest of the animal kingdom. But it doesn't change the fact that we are animals. We are a part of this ecosystem and have been for a very long time. You know what I mean? Um. And so to describe all human impact as negative and to kind of take us out of that ecosystem and not treat us as part of the earth is, I think, at least a little bit disingenuous. You know what I mean? That 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 we are we are a part of the ecosystem. We may be invasive, but so's mint. And no one describes mint as not being natural. You know what I mean? Um I'm trying to think of yeah. other invasive species, but I mean, we're not the only species that that kills other species. We're not the only other species that that does all sorts of things that you could categorize yeah. as harm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when other species do it, we don't think of it as harm. You know what I mean? We don't think of uh, when the wolf chase down, you know, the wolf pack chases down a deer. We don't worry about it. But if a hunter shoots the deer, somehow that's then, it, then it's a huge problem. Yeah, exactly. And so, and so taking a step back and saying, no, we're, we're a part of the earth. And, and so us impacting the earth is okay. Is, is definitely a, a perspective change. And that doesn't mean we impact it in any way that we want to, you know what I mean? I mean, I think we can all agree that dumping trash in the ocean is a pretty, uh, ugly thing to do and something that's not a great idea, but you know what? Maybe Maybe us raising cows that uh that fart, you know, methane gas into the air is not the end of the world. <laughs> because because people what say they... because, you know, if a cow farts in nature, it's okay. If we raise that cow and he farts, now it's a human impact that's inherently bad and we need to cut down on on our cattle population. You know what I mean? That's how we look at it now. And mm-hmm. it doesn't make mm-hmm. any sense. No, especially if if what you think is if you look at the world and you said what we really need to do is save the world, uh, protect the environment, protect the animals, protect people too. You can, you can, you said, like you said, sometimes we discard people as being like, as if we're aliens that are invading and we're ruining something. Um, but even if you include people, there's a, there's a different perspective where you could say, actually, I think humans, people are the, <laughs> In case you didn't know that humans are people, <laughs> I don't know why I felt obligated to to re to put a different word in there. But if I think saving a human being is a much much bigger deal than saving an ant or saving a plant, I think the scale is. I, I don't think there you can make a comparison between the two. No, I I think you can true, make a comparison, and it's important that we make that comparison and we compare them and find the ant lacking. And find the yeah because that yes. that's what comparing means. That's what I mean. But yes, yes, yes. You're right. That, you're right. I don't think you can say the two are equivalent in value. And that if your moral theory of humanity puts humans so low that we're anywhere close, then our disagreement is not about the science. 
It's about how we value human life. I value human life at a level where I'm willing to build a house so that I can live comfortably. And I'm very comfortable with that. Yeah. And that even understanding all the displacement for other creatures. Right, right. I'm comfortable owning a car. I, I, I'm comfortable with impacting the world in a way that we made steel and, you know, and, we, and the oil and the things necessary for this car. And that I would like there to be more cars so that the poor people who are really struggling in third world countries have better transportation and more access to, to, the, to all of the benefits of trade that would come with, with transportation, right? That's, that's a very different valuation. That's a valuation that doesn't mean, that puts me in a position where I'm not, I'm interested in balancing the environment to the degree that it hurts people if we do it wrong. Throwing trash in the ocean in the long run probably hurts people a lot. <laughs> Seems like a bad idea. It's killing the fish, right? This is, this is probably not the, the right answer. It, that's a, there are some inconvenient things we need to do because in the long run, it's better for people. No, and, and, and from a more naturalistic perspective, we, we are, I mean, in terms of hierarchy, we're an apex predator. You know what I mean? We're, we're, yeah. we're, and we have been for a long time, long before we had technology, if not an apex predator, depending on where we are located, because we're located worldwide. You know what I mean? There's a few cases where we had some competition, but for the most part, yes. for a long time, humans have been the apex predator where there was no other animal that was, you know, that was relying on humans as their source of, as their source of, of meat. You know what I mean? There was no, yes, which, yeah, which to some degree puts us outside of the food chain. Yeah. Outside of the hierarchy. Well, no, that's why, you know, it's an apex predator. The apex predator apex, isn't yes. being eaten by yeah, anybody yes, else. Fair enough. That is what they're, they're only eating, but we don't think of lions as being only negative. They're part of the ecosystem and they play a role. You know what I mean? But if you ask the lion, does he treat all others equally? He says, no. If I did, I would never eat any other animal. You know what I mean? Because why should I live when, when they shouldn't? But no, the, the lion says, I value my kind above all others. And every animal and species does that. And it's constantly competing. And that's the whole thing with, you know, survival of the fittest is that every, every living thing has an innate desire to, to continue living and to propagate their own species. I mean, even plants. That's why plants are always pushing out seeds so they can grow their species and, and continue to survive. You know what I mean? Even if there's not an actual desire there, there's at least some kind of mechanism built in. I'm trying to imagine a species that is still around that's like self-destructive. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's like sense. suicidal. It doesn't make any sense. So, so no. by definition, if we want to continue as a species we have to value ourselves above the other species. If we ever reach a point as a species where we don't value our species more than others, we we could theoretically we could go extinct. We could go extinct. Yes. Yes, we could. And and at the very least it will uh it will we will be making choices that hurt us to benefit other creatures, right? By, by definition, if we value other things similar to ourselves, then we're going to have to reduce our standing in the world. We're going to have to reduce the things that we're, uh, the impact that we're well, having. Well, and, and, and I should clarify, Dan, that 
that I don't think that people want that. There may be some fringe minority that actually yes, wants there's... 8 billion people to turn into 500 million or whatever and go back to being subsistence yes. hunter-gatherers where they do act more like lions than humans. Do you know what I mean? Yes. There's enough of them that they start showing up in movies as eco-terrorists. Yeah, exactly. Like, like there are people who believe that. But that's those aren't the people leading the climate change movement. Those people are operating under a another inconsistent way of viewing the world. I'm trying to think of the proper way to phrase this because when it comes to climate change, I can try and I tend to get heated and I'm trying to to think as clearly as possible and understand that these are people who aren't stupid, who have legitimate ideas. But one of the things that's often forgotten is that everything comes with a cost. You know, government in the a action in the United States often seems costless in how we look at it. You know what I mean? We just see the good. I mean, that's what we saw with what do you want? That's yeah, the question exactly. people and ask then we do the government. I mean, you see that with the stimulus packages we got all throughout COVID. I mean, we're talking more than the federal government's entire annual budget was spent in that same year in 2021 just on stimulus packages. Like, that's nuts. That's nuts. <laughs> like... Like, it's the biggest budget in the world, and we spent that much again. Like that's just handing money out. That's insane. You know what I mean? And yet, when that happened during that year, people weren't talking about the cost. They were just talking about what we were going to gain from it. You know, and and that's just naturally what we tend to do is we see what we're getting. We're not seeing the hidden cost. But the thing is, is with climate change, it goes the same way. When we talk about climate change, we talk about a few things. We talk about renewables electric cars, wind power, which are generally perceived as aesthetically pleasing. Um, you know, obviously uh, things that people like, you know what I mean? They're, they're, uh, they're great virtue signalers. So it's just, it's an overall positive experience. You know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and I'm like, great. You're telling me that we can have renewable energy and we can stop doing any of these things that might potentially be harmful. And we're not sure how harmful they are. And we're not sure about this. It doesn't matter if we can just do all these positive things. Let's just do them. That's fantastic. Why wouldn't we? You know what I mean? If it really is just better for everyone, why don't we make all these changes? And the answer is because it's not that simple. There's very real economic costs that aren't even being considered. And Dan, you found the best statistic ever that perfectly illustrates how insane it is when we talk about this. We talk about changing the world's energy into renewable energy. Fantastic. Only 20% of the world's energy is electricity right now. 80% is straight burning of fossil fuels. So you replace all of the electricity production in the world with renewable energy, which in itself is a huge problem because of, of inconsistency. We've talked about this before. Inconsistency in production, no ramping ability, um, terrible storing ability in terms of batteries, um, tons of areas where it's not feasible. There's only some areas where you can do wind, some areas where you can do solar. Those are all huge concerns. But even if you get past those hurdles, you know, let's say we go, you know, people start looking at it seriously. They're like, yeah, we're going to do a whole bunch of nuclear energy. It's going to be redundant, but it's so stable, and we're going to look at this, and we're going to look at that, and we're going to use the feeder system so those nuclear reactors will actually be renewable because they're not going to be producing any nuclear waste. They're going to keep using it, 
and we're going to make all of these changes, great. You have now solved 20% of the problem. What are you going to do about the shipping containers going worldwide? What are you going to do about the natural gas heating we have here in the United States that provides heat for the majority of people in the United States? You know, what are your solutions for these things where electricity has not found a viable solution to fill those roles? Yes, this this is a problem that's so big and so invisible that it's hard to believe. Um, 20%, if you look at all of the energy needs that you consume on a daily basis, uh, looking at my own life, right? I've got I, my house, obviously I'm paying for electricity. That electricity powers almost everything I do. If it's a particularly lazy day and I'm not driving anywhere, it powers and the temperature is nice, you know, just perfect outside, it powers my entire life. And so people get, and all of that is electricity, right? Now, that electricity right now, most of it comes from fossil fuels. But in theory, you could replace it with renewable. You could replace it with solar and wind, and those could generate the electricity, right? Because the, the way the fossil fuels are, are used with regards to electricity is they power a plant which produces electricity. But we're, what we're saying is only 20% of the world uses electricity. So if you replace all 20% of the world, 20% of all the energy comes from an electrical source, meaning you can replace all of the energy power plants with renewable energy, and you've only replaced 20% of all of the energy that that's needed in the world. It's not just electricity. We focus on electricity, we hyper-focus on electricity and and the best ways to produce electricity. And and then we miss the broader point, which is actually that still leaves 80% of the world in which renewable energy won't help you because renewable energy converts wind or sun into electricity. And electricity won't help you. Yeah, it simply Brad lacks the, the capacity in so many areas. Yes, uh, if you had a a dozen massive breakthroughs in batteries, <laughs> if our battery technology jumps several hundred years, then perhaps you can use a battery, or maybe even not that much, maybe several decades, because we have made a lot of progress in the last few decades for batteries. Well, well, and the problem is that uh, the battery materials are scarce too. There's other problems with batteries that are, uh, you you have actual hard problems. And don't of, uh, don't even mention how environmentally unfriendly batteries are. <laughs> right, right. That's a renewable energies are treated as if they're net zero, and they're not. But that's besides the point. Um, they're only it's not besides they're only the point. net zero <laughs> the way politicians describe net zero, not actually net zero. You know, these these are all things that need to be constructed. These There's, are political goals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But there are real costs in the real world that have emissions costs. You know, net net zero emissions doesn't really actually make sense if you think about it. Yes, I think we've talked elsewhere right about how good nuclear actually is. Now it can't replace everything by any stretch of the imagination, but it could replace uh, quite a few things. It could do it could do a lot more than it's doing now, um, and that takes unfortunately that takes that'll take a long time. Um, mostly because of regulations and things but <laughs> no and that's and what i was saying is that even even people who say nuclear is the answer which we are one of those you know 
that if you're looking at renewables, look at nuclear, it still doesn't solve all the problem because you, you're still only talking about that 20%. 20% of the pie is the only section of the pie that can even be touched by renewables right now. By something that can, yeah, convert into electricity, right? You, you actually can make nuclear engines. So a nuclear, in theory, could power a lot more than that. Ooh, but... nuclear-powered shipping containers? Okay. Okay. You already have the nuclear submarine. Okay, yeah. So, so, actually so yeah, so if we're willing to go nuclear-powered uh, engines... I want my screwdrivers, yes. my power nuclear, screwdriver co- to oh, be nuclear-powered. Because you, you're right, because you could have, okay, instead of this factory you could. using you could with using heat from natural gas, we're going to have this factory actually powered by nuclear heat. And they could have a nuclear yes. reactor on site. And once the environmentalists get on board on that, we can probably make that 20%, you know, 50%. It's still not going to be the whole hundred, though. And we're going to be drinking Nuka-Cola. And, and it's going to uh, be awesome. And we're going to be singing a lot of songs radiation. from the 50s. That's right. It'll just basically be Fallout, the game. Um, but seriously, the... Uh, <laughs> now I just want to sing those songs. Stay <laughs> on target. explain what Fallout is for the audience that has no idea. Um, uh, it's the the reason for this is if you're wondering why why electricity doesn't power more things why that electricity can't go from 20% to 100% of of all of the energy needs it's because it becomes radically more inefficient radically more inefficient if you want to heat something purely from electricity it's really ineffective compared to other forms on a smaller scale that's not a big deal your stove not that big of a or deal. Space right? a, lot heaters, of, which a lot of stoves are electric. Eat a ton space of electricity. Heat. You know, people talk about getting a solar battery backups, and I've looked into it. And it's like, I can buy this $2,000, and it was a good deal, $2,000 solar plus battery system. And I'm like, this thing's going to be awesome. You know, I'll have it as a backup for power outages and stuff. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, well, what about winter? What if I want to plug my 1,500 watt $20 space heater from Walmart that can keep a one room warm? It's like, okay, I can plug that into the two batteries. And I can get about an hour and 10 minutes with my $2,000 solar plus battery system. And I was like, okay, never mind. But they're like, oh, Batteries but, are so oh but you can spend, you can spend $200 on a gas generator and, and put, you know, you know, $15 worth of gas in it and it'll power that space heater plus, a, yes. plus two other things yes. through the whole night. You know what I mean? And yeah, that's it, the difference between a gas generator which is able to produce, you know, electricity like crazy versus that battery, the same size as the generator that can give you an hour's worth of power. Yes, car engines have come a long way. Still ridiculously uh, inefficient compared to compared to combustion engines. Um, they have to be so subsidized, and there's so many so many different things. Well, that and go the whole into car is it. a battery, basically, to make it to get it those 300 get... miles. <laughs> the The electric <laughs> yeah. motor technology has been there for so long. Electric motors are used all over the place because they're so powerful. They're awesome. What's been lacking has been the batteries. You know what I mean? If yeah. we had if we had a street get grid system that had a that had a third rail type system. Like you have those electric car racetracks, you can those toy ones where they're always touching mm-hmm. the track. If we had a system mm-hmm. like that, you could have electric cars forty years ago. You know what I mean? Fifty years ago. Yeah, because it was a question of getting because it the was about the them. power. I mean, that's why you have electric like subway systems and and train system tram systems in some cities that had that, where they had just a power system that 
brought them the power continuously and so there were no batteries and they were able to have those long before you had electric cars because that was one of the big problems yeah the the power tools uh it's interesting you can get a good sense of battery power by at what point you can't find a battery powered power tool as they get bigger right there probably are electric chainsaws out there. You'd have to be connected to Yeah, an and now we've reached electric lawnmowers, you know? That was a big step yes, up because they use uh, a ton yes. of power. And now you yes. can do it electric lawnmowers, electric snowblowers. You know what I mean? We've reached a higher level. But that electric lawnmower is still only going to get you about an hour of lawnmowing with these massive honking batteries on top. Those aren't your classic DeWalt batteries. But it is getting better, but we're not there yet. Yes, yes. So... To bring it back to the, the scale there, so the UN's goal is net zero 2050. Various other groups are pushing for earlier than that. So how much of the energy right now is being provided by sources that they consider net zero, which at this point, you get hydro. I, I, I always forget to mention hydro. Hydro is limited by your geography. You know, you have to have the right circumstances geographically to be able to water. generate hydro. <laughs> called water well it's, it's large amounts it's, it's flowing. water and gravity or water and tides and yes, tides yes. aren't nearly as effective as gravity and it has to be yes. a considerable amount of gravity i always thought okay well why don't we put some kind of hydroelectric power system in every stream and river like why not but it turns out you needed a significant it's a certain number of feet over a certain number of distance because that water basically has to be the equivalent of a free fall in order to get enough power to power those dams. It has to be a certain amount of water, which is why you only have dams in certain areas and they have to build this huge reservoir of water behind it instead of just having like, because if it didn't have to be that, they could have just put a paddle in the water not built the dam, not had a reservoir, and that mm -hmm. paddle would mm -hmm. get pushed. Use the current. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not how it works. It needs much more energy yeah, yeah, it's, to produce power yeah, so in significant numbers. You could do a small-scale version of that, but it doesn't do anyone any good. We need something that's going to power yes. thousands of homes, not two. Yes, hydro is actually really efficient in the right circumstances, um, but that's uh, for generating electricity, which is part of this 20%. Um, but, but so counting hydro solar and wind how much of the world's total energy supply are they providing right now the answer is about three percent and and see that number sounds high to me i i it could I, it could be i'm are you sure it's not three percent of the world's electricity supply not energy supply i'm not i'm not because because that would make more sense i thought i'm i'm pretty confident that it's uh that three percent of the world's energy um now, we noted last episode that because these are unreliable, often you have to have redundant systems under them. You have to, unless you want to deal with blackouts, which you can't afford to deal with for very long in a place like Germany in the winter, as they've discovered, mm -hmm. um, you then, or, or Texas in that one winter, or... California regularly. Um, <laughs> well, see, California can actually suffer the blackouts better than almost anyone else because they have the, the most, temperate climate. Most temperate climate. You don't get the articles about people dying in California, which saves them from having to fix it. <laughs> and they also get people leaving, which is helping. Um, <laughs> helping them. <laughs> helping their energy needs. No, I know. Yes. I was just making a stupid joke. 
So, uh, oh, and helping the people who were leaving. <laughs> I, I see that the, the pronoun was vague there. Okay. So we're, we got to go to achieve this goal. We need to go from covering 3% to covering the other 97%. Let's just, for a second here, let me just tell you what that implies. That implies that all of the tractors need to become electrical powered. That's, and we're not talking all the tractors here. We're talking all the tractors Everywhere. in Africa. Mm -hmm. Right? We're talking, we're talking about, <laughs> it's, well, and, and once again, we get, what if you, we get back to net zero, which is a real problem because how they calculate net zero is weird. It's weird and it's inconsistent. You know what I mean? Yes, because it's a political. Because it's a political it's, number. And so, so we may reach a point where they say we've hit net zero. I don't think we, we could even reach their fake number by 2050. As it stands right now. No, they'll, they'll change. They will 100% move the goalpost. Well, I think they'll move the goalpost and move the deadline. Maybe we'll meet an even easier goal by 2080 or 2070, but that won't even be anywhere close to real net zero, which is what you would need to stop the human impact on the world that is so negative you know what i mean because because everything we do impacts the world you know what i mean we're we're digging up all these precious minerals and these rare components in order to make these uh these solar panels and you want to go 100 percent renewable oh my goodness the amount of mining that's going to be required to produce all of these things is nuts you know what i mean you can't just use the materials from the decommissioned oil and gas factories and turn them into solar factories that's not how it works it's it's completely different systems and so so that's going to be huge human impact on the world because of those things you're going to have huge solar farms i mean and wind farms all across the united states and the whole world that's going to have economic impact all over the place not economic environmental impact on birds on uh, you know, ground dwelling species for the solar panels. It's going to do all sorts of things. And we're not sure what all of those things are going to do. But right now we know that yeah. in terms of local environments, you know, wind, wind turbines are not environmentally friendly for their local environment. They're pretty bad for it. <laughs> They're an absolute terror. They annihilate the bird life within a serious distance <laughs> for good reason, right? It's just a giant fan. <laughs> it's just a giant blade spinning in the sky. Um, and it's a series of them, right? Anyway, so one of the biggest impacts and this, this one, this one, when you begin to think about it is crazy. So if you get unreliable energy, so, so first off, let me, let me build up to this. Let me step back. Actually, I'm just going to just deliver it, but it's going to be better if we, we build up to it. There is most of the world does not have our, our level of resources, right? We accept a, a more expensive energy system that comes from somewhere. Right. We get we get less of something else. That's but we're our economy continues we're not, to grow. We're not living we on the margin. We may not even notice. We're right. not living yes. on the margin. We we get eight percent. We get eight percent inflation, and people in the United States are suffering. But people in the United States are not dying in droves. You know what I mean? We talked about it before. We get a famine, a worldwide famine. People in the United States are in many ways going to be the last to die. You know what I mean? We're, we're going to be the last to suffer the consequences because of our enormous wealth, which is the same reason we're so interested in, in investing in climate change um, prevention, because we're not on a subsistence level. You know what I mean? If you're trying to yes. survive today, if you're trying to 
hand to mouth, stay alive and keep your family alive. You don't care about existential ideological ideas like climate change that aren't even well defined. You know what I mean? You care about staying <laughs> yeah, yeah. alive that day. And that's You've got more pressing threats. And that's where huge chunks of the world are. And so first of all, it means a couple of things. First of all, it means those chunks of the world aren't going to institute zero emissions anything because they're just trying to stay alive. Second of all, so so first of all, it means we can't achieve true zero emissions. Second of all, they're the one. Even if we were crazy, even if to, we were crazy to really enough force to, it to really else. try. But second of all, they're actually going to suffer from our reduced efficiency over here in the first world. That we're going to be producing less and we're going to have less wealth generally. And because of that, other people in other countries are going to suffer. Like, literally, people will die because of climate change initiatives. And so it's not going to be a zero-cost movement, which is why we need to fully understand what the benefits are going to be yeah. before we commit to those costs. And that's a real discussion yeah. that's just not being had. Yes, you, you, if you take reliable energy and you make it unreliable, which solar and wind fundamentally are, and you make it fully based on unreliable energy. I guess you could throw nuclear in there. Nuclear is in an interesting place. Uh, opinions are seem to be changing. Hopefully they change fast enough that that people can embrace this because that's something that I think bipartisan could move forward. But anyway, setting aside nuclear, you you replace the reliable energy with unreliable energy. And what do people do when the energy is unreliable? They look for alternative energy sources. What's the easiest alternative energy source, especially if you're poor? You burn wood. You burn wood. Uh, you can use wood, and uh, if you're a little better off, then you can get access to coal, right? You can. That requires some kind of uh, mining structure. You know, that it requires a level of organization that is above the bare survival level. Um, these are the worst, right? This is, and the irony is, by pushing people into closer to the edge of survival. You push them closer to using the worst forms of energy in terms of the very goals they're trying to which, achieve. Which is not hypothetical. It's happening in Germany it's, where yes. they're reverting back to coal because they invested so heavily in renewable and it didn't and it didn't pan out. And so they're now going back to the the worst for the environment but more reliable. Yes. You go into a country that is just getting access to coal or is heavily reliant on coal. And you push them towards green and they will go back to wood. Like it's, you end up by, by making, by pushing people towards the less efficient, more expensive, or less reliable. You can, you can look at a price per kilowatt hour from wind and, uh, and solar. And depending on how you measure it and, and the numbers actually vary a lot and they should vary because it, the price per kilowatt hour of wind depends on where you put the turbine and the price per kilowatt hour of of solar depends on and and on the technology used to do it right how how efficient is the is the turbine and how how expensive is it and where you put them so of course the numbers are going to vary but even if they were all cheaper than the fossil fuel alternatives which is what some people claim and it's it's a half truth at best um you still have that issue of reliability and and uh and its ability to, you've, you've no control over how much energy they're ultimately producing. Um, so you get, you get these redundant systems, you get people reverting to other things. Uh, and, and as such, it ends up being more expensive, even if it's only indirectly. 
they're like, there's no way, there is no world in which solar and winds ends up being cheaper unless we just produce less energy. We just produce less energy. And we have extremely unreliable energy for, for all of our needs. Which means our, our, if you look at, if you say, what's the world like with less energy? It's massively less productive. Uh, it's the, our, our energy is directly proportional to our ability to run our tools, machines, and capital that makes us productive. You get people going from being able to do the labor of a, of a hundred people with a tractor or a thousand people, depending on the tractor, to being able to do just their own labor, which means what? Which means food production is cut, which means all of the production is cut by less energy in the same way that all production is enhanced by cheaper energy. If you want to help the poor, we've said this before, if you want to help the poor, cheaper energy is, is perhaps the straightest line to it. And we are dead set on making our energy more expensive. And which is going to affect the worldwide energy market and make it more expensive for everyone. So even if we don't force our policies on other countries, we will still by hurt becoming less efficient, those yeah. other, the people in those other countries by making these changes. Yes, and, it, and it's... <laughs> We, we, if you look at, uh, Brad, you were pointing this out before this podcast. If you, if you increase unemployment by 1%, you get here in the a, US. a, here in the US, increase unemployment by 1%, you get, uh, a corresponding increase in suicide. Yeah, there's a, there's drug a overdose. statistical, something you can actually measure where you're seeing there's increases in all sorts of negative outcomes, including, including death. Like you're sorry, I cut you off, but. No, 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 no. But no, I was just, I was just excited. But, but very real costs, and you get, get get an increased number of suicides. You get an increased number of illness, increased number of of malnutrition, and all sorts of things that you can actually quantify at, for every percent you change it. And so, yes, yeah, so you make you make the world less efficient, and some people here in the United States are actually going to die specifically because of that policy change. But the people on the margins, as he people said on the yeah. margins, are going to suffer for it in a new, in a number of ways. But in the world, it's going to be even worse. In the third world countries, who are already on the margin, where huge portions of their population are on the margin, it'll be much worse. Yes, it, it, in all of this, to tie this back to the philosophy idea, these policies are anti-human. They are not good for people. You cannot have eight billion people in the world. And replace 97% of the world's energy with some alternative that's less effective and less, less expensive. It will absolutely wreck those 8 billion people. It will make their lives worse, which on the margin means you know, the, the, the extreme, they die. At the, at the very top, uh, they have less stuff. Yeah, and, and the reason um, people aren't seeing it is because there's such a disconnect. Because the discussion right now is, you know, do you want to have electric cars? Or do you want the world to end in 20 years? And when people frame it like that, it's easy to say, yes, we want that. But that's just not the reality. And the reality is much more complicated. And it's really, do you want to make a bunch of extreme, incredibly expensive changes that aren't going to be 100% effective? And they're going to have very real economic costs because of the increased costs and very real other costs because of the unreliability of the power. And in exchange, we're not exactly sure what the benefit will be. It very likely will be something, but we're not actually sure how much of a difference it'll make 
but it will come at all of these costs. And when you frame it like that, it's going to be a very different discussion and people are going to have a lot more questions before they say yes to that plan. Yes, yes. And you say, what, what really do we know? Because the cost is it's ridiculous. so high. So we really need to know the nuances. You said it very early in the conversation. If the cost is that high, the nuance becomes really and important. When the cost is this is, actually necessary? And when the cost is that high, the onus of responsibility is on proving the benefits before you do anything. You know yes, what I mean? Rather than working on the assumption that we have to act yeah. now in ways that we know will drastically hurt people. Exactly. For a future that's uncertain. It's, a, it, it's such a... There's so much more that could be said because we could talk about how with the IPCC models, I'll, I'll just say this, I'll state this as a fact, um, even though we don't have time to necessarily go into it. Um, Bjorn Longborg, Long, Lomberg is a excellent source for this. Uh, he and a team of economists uh, took the, the likely scenarios given by the IPCC, calculated the cost to deal with the consequences of global warming as they see it as a as a reality. So assuming the things that, that the IPCC is seeing are, are accurate and acting on that information, what is the cost of preventing it versus what is the cost of dealing with it? So for example, rising, rising water levels, you would deal with that by building up the dikes. Yeah. Yeah. In the Netherlands, they're called dikes over here in the U S like in new Orleans and stuff, they just call them it's something else. It's 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 really benign. I feel like there's a term I'm it's missing. just a normal yes. English word, like they call them water break or something like that, but it's not that. I know it's not yes. that. Don't correct me on that. Something like that. And what they found was it's so much less expensive to solve the problems, move people who must be moved, build up the the walls where they must be built up, increase the infrastructure that allows for AC and for cooling and for uh, you know, change change where crops are located if the temperature increases enough and so on. It's so much cheaper to do that than it would be to take the the actions to prevent it that it's not even close. Uh, if the most, in the most, uh, it, even in, in the most extreme cases, the costs become comparable. But in, in uh, with what's most likely to happen, the cost of addressing the problem is much lower, exponentially lower than it would be to prevent it. Which makes a lot of sense when you realize that it, there's fundamentally no way to fix the problem. There's no there's no just solution, you know what I mean? It's not that simple. And so so what we're saying is is don't uh don't just accept, you know, Bjorn Bjorn's plan, you know what I mean? But also don't yes, just he's operating with the same limitations yeah, but of and, what's going to happen in the future. Don't just accept the, the, the climate change Kool-Aid either. We need to be looking at it from a whole new perspective. And we need to remember that, number one, it's okay to be pro-human. And number two, not every human impact on the world is negative. And number three, the world may not be as fragile as climate change experts think it is which is evidenced by the fact that their predictions continually have been wrong about how quickly they thought the world was going to be destroyed by human impact. Time and time again, the world has proven more resilient. It doesn't mean we shouldn't look at it. It doesn't mean we should ignore climate change. It means we we just need to reevaluate what we're doing and how we're looking at it. And that's what we're proposing. Yes. And, and, uh, and as a reminder on the flip side, that people for people on the bottom, the world is very much trying to kill them. 
right? The nature is out to get them. There's diseases. There's all kinds of hardships and problems that they deal with all the time. And the clear solution to helping them, one of them, is to give them cheap energy. Yes, and that's what we're. I mean, that's what we're talking about. People who are dying on the margins, they're not dying because the climate change policies are directly killing them. They're dying because the climate change policies are depriving them of things that were made through human impact, leaving them in a state of nature where people naturally die at a much higher rate. You know what right, I mean? Right. You, you take away so you take away energy, you take away modern medicine, you take away trade, you take away in machines and people just die at a much higher rate. And that's what that's you know, something that we're trying to prevent. That's not what we want to go back to. We don't want to go back to being, you know, cave dwelling, you know, hunter gatherers who died at a prodigious rate and barely survived. You know what I mean? That's that's not a good outcome here. And with that, thank you for listening. This has been an episode of Rethinking Politics. You can find us on all of the major podcasting apps or on YouTube. You can reach out to us at rethinkingpoliticspodcast at gmail.com or you can visit our website at rethinkingpolitics.podbean.com where you can support us via Patreon. Thanks and have a wonderful day.